Welcome to Graceway Baptist Church and our midweek service. We're taking the time to go through various psalms, and we're enjoying that, hopefully. And we're in Psalm 33 tonight. We're going to look at the very last section in verse 20. Uh, before I do that, just for those of you who are interested to get an update on my health, I did go see a uh, pulmonologist the other day, and they've determined that this is not a lung problem, this breathing thing that I've got, that um, it is a heart problem, and so I've got to see a cardiologist about that and do an echocardiogram, and uh, apparently there's a valve that's leaking, and so uh, that's where the problem is, so I would appreciate your prayers. Um, haven't heard from the cardiologist yet, so I'm kind of anxious to get in and see him and see what we uh, need to do. And then I probably won't be so anxious after I find out what they want to do. But anyway, appreciate your prayers and uh, am doing better. Um, so we'll uh, press on, press on. Let's go ahead and uh, think about uh, what we've been talking about in Psalm 33. In uh, this psalm, it starts off, sounds kind of New Testament, sounds kind of Pauline, um, because you remember that we started the psalm. Verse 1 says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, <clears throat> for praise from the upright is beautiful. Now, Paul didn't say a lot of that, but he did say rejoice in the Lord. He said that on several occasions, didn't he? And uh, maybe the old Pharisee was thinking about Psalm 33 when he wrote Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. This is something that the Lord wants, obviously, out of his people because he commands it so often. And uh, we think about the idea of rejoicing and some people think, well, that sounds kind of hypocritical. I don't feel like rejoicing. Well, maybe uh, if you set your heart on just obeying God, regardless of how you felt about it, that might change your attitude. And uh, there are times when we just simply obey God. And as a result of obeying God by faith, our attitude and our thoughts change later on. I would suggest that if you would start rejoicing, whether you wanted to or felt like it or not, your feelings and your sincerity would indeed change. And notice that it says rejoice in the Lord because uh, there's always a reason and there's always something good that the Lord has done or is doing or has promised you that you can get excited about, something that you can rejoice in his sovereignty, his plan, his goodness, his character and nature. Rejoice in the Lord, the Bible says. And um, when you are rejoicing in the Lord, you are going to think on him. You're going to recall things about him. You're going to recall what he has done. One of the things that I have noticed in the scripture that has impacted me. I wish it had impacted me more, but uh, it has made an impact. I noticed that people that prayed in the Bible had this tendency 
to look back before they ever talked about their situation. We don't tend to do that as much. We focus on the now, the nasty now. We focus on our problem. We focus on our trial and we cry out to God and we should, and we should. Don't mean to discount that. However, in the Bible, even in the book of Acts, as well as in the Old Testament, particularly in the Old Testament is a very Jewish way of praying. They would go back and let's say that the problem was I need to have food to feed my family, starving. When they got ready to pray, they would say, Oh Lord, you created the universe out of nothing. You created the sun, the moon, and the stars. You created life on the planet. You created the trees. And they would go through these kind of things. And then they might say something like this. You were the God that dropped manna out of heaven to feed your children in the wilderness. You were the one who parted the Red Sea and brought them across on dry land and destroyed the enemies of God's people when the waters rushed over them. And they might go through several different things like that. Go back and look and read some of the prayers in the Old Testament and uh, you'll see that. And then they would say, now, Lord, I ask you, would you provide manna for my children? Would you make a way through this, through this famine for us to cross and get through on the other side? And I thank you and praise you. And, and then they would go into those kind of things. Now, why did they pray like that? I don't think it was because if you do that, it makes God go, oh, shucks, I guess I better do what you want me to do. I think it actually is for us. I think it's for the prayer. As we begin to think about who God is, how powerful he is, and what all he has done, it gives us faith to believe that God can still do that now. It gives us faith to believe in a God who is still in control, who is still powerful, who still is sovereign and who still has a plan and who still delivers his people. It's almost as if they would look at their problem and they would say, I've got to pray. And then they would go back and they would see the power and the greatness of God and what God did. We in a New Testament sense might think of something like this. You're the God who sent your son into the world to live a perfect life, to give us righteousness. You're the God who raised your son from the dead. You're the God who has seated your son at your own right hand until his enemies are made his footstool. You're the God who has prepared heaven for us. You're the God who is going to return and rule and reign on this earth. We might do things like that. Okay? Now, why would that matter? Okay? God, you did this, 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 this. By the way, I've got this little problem. And all of a sudden, a problem that seemed to be huge, I can't feed my family, becomes much smaller because in light of God's creative power, in light of God's redemptive power, in light of things that God has already done and proven himself to be able to do, this is a small thing. And all of a sudden, God seems bigger and the problem seems smaller. All of a sudden, my faith is big because I've got a big God who can take care of these things. And so I think that's one of the things that 
reciting the previous works of God and rejoicing in the Lord can do for us. You may come out of your office, walk out to your car on a very cold day like today, and you may have a flat tire. Now, you're going to do something. You're not just going to be neutral about it. You can either be frustrated, you can be upset, you can be bitter. You can let all kinds of things come out of your mouth that you're going to regret. Or you could rejoice in the Lord, couldn't you? Lord, I look at this and I don't want this flat tire. I don't like this flat tire. And I'll be honest, Lord, I'm not happy about the flat tire. But I know you well enough to know you've got a plan and your plan is good. And I pray that you would help me change this tire or find somebody who can. Or we began to uh, think about that and we began to rejoice as well as pray. We began to rejoice as well as ask God to get us out of this situation. And it seems to make things a little bit more palatable. You might even find that when you rejoice in the Lord, you have opportunities to witness. There may be uh, something that happens that should have been adverse. Everybody else is cussing. Everybody else is griping. Everybody else is complaining. And you may just say, Lord, I thank you for this. And I praise you in the midst of this because I know you're good and I know you've got a plan. You may have somebody come up and say, what did you say? And all of a sudden, you've got an opportunity to talk about the God who does miracles, a God who is in control, a God who sent his son out of great love for sinners like us. And you've got an opportunity to witness and so I think if we would take the Bible more seriously and practically, instead of acting like everybody else, and instead of just simply going by our feelings, I think we might find that uh, witnessing becomes easier. An attitude is easier to frame and maintain in our own life, one that's more positive rather than negative. And then we find ourselves being worshipers and worshiping the Lord at all times and in all situations. You see the practicality of that? I dare you to try it. I dare you the next time something goes wrong, rejoice and give God praise instead of griping. And so when David writes in the Psalms about praising the Lord, honoring the Lord, glorifying the Lord, those kind of things. He does it with the idea that God's people, because we love God, we're going to have a desire to be obedient, whether we feel like it or not. And um, we've kind of lost that to where we think that if I don't feel it, I'm not going to do it. Well, God wants your obedience above everything else. Now, <clears throat> while we are rejoicing in the Lord... Think about this. Psalm 33, 20. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him. There we find that again, don't we? Because we have trusted 
in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Now that phrase back up there, that says, because we have trusted in your holy name, is tied to the phrase that says, our heart, for our heart, verse 21, shall rejoice in him. <clears throat> Why does it rejoice? Because we have trusted in his holy name. There's an old hymn that says, we're marching to Zion, and it has a phrase in it that has always kind of haunted me. Let those refuse to sing who never knew our God. Christianity is a singing, rejoicing, celebrative religion. Unless you don't really know the Lord, then it's boring. Unless you don't really know the Lord, then there's not really much to sing about or to rejoice in. Just get it over with and get me out of here. And I wonder if there are a lot of people that uh, maybe Brother Dale can't get them to sing because they never knew our God. Well, could that be the same thought in here? Our hearts rejoice in the Lord because we have trusted in him, because we know him as our savior, our king, and our sovereign. <clears throat> Maybe the reason there are people who don't rejoice in the Lord is because Maybe they've just embraced a denomination. Maybe they've just embraced a lifestyle, but they really have not embraced Christ. And I want to take this opportunity to remind you, most of you know this, that's what I did for so many years. And I didn't have any joy, and I didn't have any real desire to be obedient, except when people were looking except when it would affect me or benefit me in some way, until I finally embraced Christ as my Lord. Have I been perfect in rejoicing in the Lord and giving thanks? Oh, I would never say that. I would never say that. But has it been more on my mind? Yes. Am I convicted when I don't do it? Yes. Am I encouraged and motivated by the word of God to want to be obedient? And that would be a big yes. I want to be the kind of person <clears throat> that rejoices in the Lord no matter what, as somebody said. I want to be the kind of person that rejoices in the Lord. They can always find a reason, regardless of present day circumstances or feelings, to go up above and beyond that to look up to God and always find a reason to rejoice. I think that would make a tremendous difference in my outlook. Somebody said, your outlook is determined by your uplook. Boy, that's really true. And a lot of us are so busy looking at where we are and what we're in that we're not looking up and seeing the God that we serve and uh, seeing his glory. So I want to work on that. And I want to challenge you to work on that. I dare you to work on it and see if it doesn't change your life. So when we think about uh, this whole thing about while we are rejoicing and while we're waiting, <clears throat> let me throw some things out that uh, I think will help you. Number one would be this. Are you waiting on the Lord or are you pouting? 
You know, if you spend a little bit of time around toddlers, you will see that because you're bigger than they are, you generally can make them do what you want them to do. But boy, are they ever good about expressing their disgust for what you're wanting them to do. And uh, there are those times when I think we are, as believers today, like toddlers. God says, wait. And we try to find all kinds of doors to go through, windows to go through. We'll even pick up a spiritual sledgehammer and try to bust through the wall. And sometimes the Lord just puts us over and he goes, sit down right here and you wait on me. And we're waiting on the Lord. I mean, we really are waiting on the Lord, but we're not rejoicing. Boy, we're doing it with a pout. We got our lips stuck out. We've got our arms folded and we are mad and we want everyone to know we're mad. We don't like where God has us and we want everyone to know we don't like where God has us and God better know that we don't like where he has us. You ever seen a little kid like that? That's the way a lot of God's people act, folks. And we act as though that what we're doing is the biggest inconvenience and that God has done us wrong. And yet notice verse 20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. But I don't find very many believers waiting like that. I don't find very many believers seeing God in that type of light. They usually just have their arms folded. And uh, sometimes they say things like this. Well, I know God's got a plan. And it's almost like God's plan is not a good one. Didn't say it was a good plan. It's just God's plan and he's bigger than me. And so I have to put up with it and I have to deal with it. And I have to just wait on him. And we're not really waiting. We're pouting. We need to turn that around and we need to start rejoicing in the Lord. The scripture tells us that he is our hope. Sometimes we don't find much hope in this world. We don't find much hope in people. We don't find much hope in our circumstances. But can you find it in the Lord? Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. So we wait in confidence and we are resting resting, resting in um, his care. And uh, we need to learn how to do that. That's tough. That's tough. Uh, number two, what about this? Is it faith or is it just resignation to fate? Faith or resignation to fate? You know, the Greeks believed in goddesses called the fates. And um, boy, sometimes... You just had to deal with whatever the fates brought to you. The song, Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, originally said, Through the years we all will be together if the fates allow. Is that the way we live life? Fatalistic? See the two words? Fate, fatalistic? Do we live our life just saying, well, this is just my lot in life. This is what I have to do. Or do we live our life in faith to where we say like Joseph, I don't know why I'm in Egypt. I don't know why I'm a slave, but I'm going to honor God 
while I do this, when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, how can I sin against my master and against my God? Didn't matter where you found Joseph, Joseph is rising to the top. Why did he do that? Why did he become the head slave over all the Potiphar's slaves? Why did he become the head over all of the prisoners when he's there in prison unjustly? I think it's because Joseph had this knowledge and this understanding that whatever is going on, I may not understand my circumstances, but I understand the sovereignty of God. And I know that God has a plan, and God's plan is a superior plan. It's a good plan. It's not just something I have to just resign myself to and just say, well, God's got a plan. It's not a good one, but it's a plan, and nothing I can do about it. But to know that God is in control and that God is the one who is doing all things well, that what he does, he does, and it's right, that what he does, that it's good. Because in every trial, we are testifying about God. In every trial, every trial you go through, you're giving a testimony about the goodness of God, about your life, uh, your life, your words, your actions, are telling others to either trust the Lord or not to trust the Lord. Just think about what you write on social media. Do your Facebook posts tell people to trust the Lord? Or are they telling people that things are out of control and God doesn't know what he's doing and it's really about people and not about God? We've got to be careful about that because we give uh, the wrong message. And so uh, we don't give the truth out, do we? We are mouthpieces and spokesmen for the enemy instead of for God. Number three, while we are uh, waiting on the Lord, is it relief or burden? Notice in verse 22, let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. But some people don't act like there's hope in the Lord. Some people don't act like the mercy of God coming upon them is a good thing. They act like it's a burden. I'm burdened down by waiting on the Lord. I'm burdened down by going through this trial. I'm burdened down and God is being unfair by putting me through this when we ought to be rejoicing in the Lord. Even before God changes a thing, we should be rejoicing. Why? Because of his merciful covenant. That word there, mercy, is the word chesed, and it is the covenant love, loving kindness and mercy of God that he gives because we are his people. And so we should find relief and we need to find relief in him and find relief in his word and find relief in his sovereign plan and find relief in his victory even if we haven't experienced it yet. New mercies every morning should bring fresh praise. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon wrote. He said, let us not present old worn out praise, but put life and soul and heart 
into every song since we have new mercies every day and have new and see new beauties in the work and the word of our Lord. New mercies every morning and new beauties to see in the work of the Lord. Could it be that what you're going through right now, the devil's plan is to get you to be disgusted with God, disgusted with people, disgusted with the promises, disgusted with everything else. And the Lord is saying, what I would love to do is in the midst of this trial, let you see new mercies every morning and new beauties in every situation. To be able to testify to people that whatever you may be going through, God is in control. And that's not a bad thing. God has a plan. And that's not a bad thing. That's the glory. That's the beauty. That's where the victory really is. And so whatever you're going through in your life right now, I want to challenge you to rejoice in the Lord always, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what others say, regardless of how things may look, because God is in control. And every morning, take those fresh mercies like the Israelites took fresh manna. And when that mercy invades your life and fills your soul, look and see beautiful things that God is doing. You may not have all your answers yet, and you may not have found your deliverance yet, but it's coming, it's coming. And in the meantime, look around you. You're going to see glorious and wonderful things if you will just obey the Lord. And remember, why should we rejoice in the Lord? Because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. And I pray the Lord blesses you as you think upon him and as he fills your souls and as you experience those new mercies every morning. Thank you for your time. Pray the Lord will bless you and we will look forward to seeing you on Sunday. God bless you.